0: Thank you for the spirit. That was awesome. Um, Our gospel reading for this morning is from John chapter 10. It is Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As some of you know, my daughter Ellie is graduating from high school this spring and heading off to college in the fall. And as many of you know, she is passionate about causes that support the safety, well-being, and inclusion of others, something she has passed on to her siblings and about which she has educated her parents quite thoroughly. During her high school years, I have become Ellie's sort of wingman For those causes, when they have taken us away to various marches or protests. In 2018, we went down to Washington, D.C. for the March for Our Lives. We rode on a bus with folks from Congregation Beth Orr, a local reform synagogue. And while we were on the bus, we read scriptures and prayers from the Jewish tradition. And as soon as the bus pulled out, the bagels and cream cheese started being passed around. And I learned a valuable lesson that whenever possible, you should always demonstrate with Jews. I remember that I posted an Instagram picture on the way home of Ellie in the bus with her headphones on, her head against the window, with a caption saying that I expected it would be the first of many trips together, and it was. Not long after that, we drove to Harrisburg for a rally to reduce gun violence. We attended the March in Ambler after George Floyd's murder. And we've done a couple women's marches in Philadelphia. And our duties break down this way. I'm the designated driver, transportation guide, photographer, and adult on hand. And Ellie tells me where, when, and why. And she makes all of the signs. At the Phillies Women's March a couple years back, she gave me a sign that she had made. And it said, respect existence or expect resistance. Respect existence or expect resistance. And I've been thinking about that sign lately, as we have experienced the trial for the murder of George Floyd, a moment of accountability on the road to a greater justice, and the shooting of several unarmed black men in the days following. I've been thinking about that sign amidst the flood of hate and violence directed toward the Asian community, And I've been thinking about that sign with the attacks that we are seeing on the transgender community. Respecting existence is the bare minimum that our fellow humans are owed, and yet we often find it difficult to muster. Rather than respecting others' existence, we blame and scapegoat them. We turn trans kids who already have among the highest rates of suicides for teens into monsters. We use the coronavirus as an excuse to act out old prejudices against the Asian community. We deny the reality that racism is woven through our culture, America's original sin, from which we have still not yet repented. We struggle to respect existence. But Jesus goes further and requires more of us as we hear in our reading from 1 John. John writes, How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. How often we fall short of this divine directive, frequently in the name of Jesus himself. As Jesus himself told us, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as yourself. When he washed his disciples' feet and gave them a new commandment, he said, love one another as I have loved you. And yet we can make Christianity about everything but those very things. I share this today because today we observe Good Shepherd Sunday. On the one hand, the image of the Good Shepherd is a comforting one. We hear it in Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. We think about Jesus' parable where the shepherd leaves the flock and goes after the one sheep who is lost and rejoices when it's found. In the Christmas story, we remember that it is shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night that were the first to hear the good news of the birth of the Messiah. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is a great comfort to us and for us. And at the same time, the Good Shepherd, like any shepherd, cares for the larger flock or multiple flocks and sometimes leads his sheep where they are reluctant to go. As we hear in our reading today, Jesus says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. My preaching professor, Peter Gomes, once said of this text that in the church, we are charged with holding two very contradictory ideas about God together at the same time that God is personal and deeply involved in the smallest details of our daily lives, and that God is the creator and shepherd of the vast, vast universe. And because we humans like to make ourselves the center of the universe, we constantly run the risk of making God, as Professor Gomes puts it, as little and as local as we are. Our focus on God's activity in our own lives, then, can blind us to the activity of God and the diversity of God's activity in the world and in the lives of others. And so we need to hold on to that larger sense of God and God's people. We need to remember that God has other sheep that do not belong to this fold, or the Lutheran fold, or the Christian fold, or any fold at all. Sheep who do not sound or look like us, who believe and practice their faith differently than us, and have different experiences than us. Another commentator describes this passage as a call for diversity in and as the body of Christ. She says, in language similar to that used in the parables, John directs his hearers to focus their worship on Jesus Christ, their only true guide. But he makes clear that the body of Christ is incomplete. There are many who have not yet come to the knowledge of Christ and therefore have not taken their place in the beloved community under the sovereignty of God. She says in John's time, it was the Gentiles who were yet to become a full part of that fledgling community. To her point, the earliest Christians were continually trying to figure out who belonged and how they belonged to the Jesus movement. They debated over whether Gentiles, non-Jews, could belong and how they could belong, whether one needed to convert to Judaism first, whether one needed to be circumcised, whether one needed to keep kosher. What should be the role of women, they asked. What was the relationship between the rich and the poor? Paul had to admonish the Corinthian church for the way wealthy people shared in the communion meal first and then just gave the leftovers to the poor and the working class afterward. Everything after the Gospels in the New Testament, from Acts to Revelation, is about the earliest Christians coming to terms with what Jesus' life and teaching meant and how it was to live out Jesus' inclusive message that crossed all manners of lines that humans draw between all manner of people. The community that gave birth to John's Gospel, who were both Jews and Gentiles, were trying to reconcile this out in real time. And we get to see some of that here today. And so from the very beginning, 2,000 years ago, in cultures unlike our own, we see both the church's faithfulness and courage as well as the human desire to draw lines of who belongs, who is acceptable, and how they should belong. The struggle to understand that unity does not require conformity. That Jesus' call for one flock and one shepherd does not imply sameness. Rather, the community that John envisions is open and celebrates its diversity as a gift from God. Another commentator writes that our present-day context requires that we expand this image of the outsider or the other beyond the parameters of the historical setting of the gospel. Who are the other for us? The key point is these others are Christ's sheep just as we are. And they, too, recognize his voice. One of the things that we have learned in our transition process is that we are an overwhelmingly white church, no surprise, and that we are situated in an overwhelmingly white community. Again, no surprise. And on the one hand, we could say, well, we match and reflect our community, and that's that. But I think that churches like ours in this historical moment and perhaps in every time, have a special call, a special obligation to live in the way of Jesus, to grow in our understanding, to widen our welcome, and to insist on respect, love, and justice. This is what Jesus did. The complexion of our congregation may or may not change, but we can be more aware and more loving and more welcoming to all of the people who already belong to this flock, and we can be more understanding and lend our hearts, minds, and hands to the cause of those who do not. Being a welcoming church is one of our core values. It may be our highest core value as a church. And as the scriptures today tell us, welcoming is not just being nice to those who walk through our doors and want to become part of our flock, but seeing the face of God in all people, honoring their divine belovedness and extending both acceptance and a loving embrace. And standing for their right to belong both to the fellowship of humankind and the community of faith. The hymn we are about to sing is called Shepherd Me, O God, and it is one of my favorites. It's a meditation on Psalm 23, but the refrain is my favorite part, and it's so timely this morning. It says Shepherd me, O God, beyond my wants, beyond my fears. From death into life. I pray that God will shepherd us beyond our wants and fears, beyond our own limited frames, beyond the lines we draw, which become like bars of a prison, separating us and preventing us from knowing the true freedom and grace that comes with knowing that we are one flock among many, that you and I are just one believer among many, that God is bigger than we can imagine, and that the people of God are more expansive than we know. I pray that God will give us the courage to live into our values, to learn from our ancestors in faith, to welcome and celebrate the wholeness of our humanity, that God gives us the courage to be uncomfortable, to listen, and to follow in the footsteps of our Good Shepherd. I pray, shepherd us, each of us, O God, beyond our wants, beyond our fears, from death into life. Amen.